Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving, like Organifi green juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Or Organifi red juice, a superfood punch that increases energy without caffeine and only 2 grams of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use simply by mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best-tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com genius and use the code genius for 20% off your order. That's Organifi.com forward slash genius. Use code genius to get 20% off any item. Remember, www.organifi.com slash genius. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius Podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up and check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I've got a really, really cool guest, Andrew Henderson. He's the founder of Nomad Capitalist, and I've watched uh, several dozen of his videos on YouTube. He talks about how people need to go where they are treated best. That can mean many things, but uh, he helps his company helps people get second citizenships, citizenship by investment, golden visas. He has a lot of knowledge about, you know, the various countries of the world and, you know, what are the entry requirements, the residency requirements, citizenship requirements, everything. So it's a really great resource on YouTube. I highly recommend the channel. It's been uh, really interesting for me and I'm glad to have him. So Andrew, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Yeah. Well, if you would, for listeners that don't know you, can you give a brief background and how you got to where you're at today? I started off in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and had a lot of friends growing up who were convinced they had to stay in Cleveland, Ohio, because that's where their families were. And, you know, it's one of those places people support the home team, Cleveland Browns, the, uh, the American football team. I mean, I think they went like zero 
one year. I mean, that's a losing team for as long as I've been around, but people support the home team. And so I had all these friends who were like, hey, I got to stick around. It's my job to take care of my parents. Like I'm part of the community. And the community never really worked. I didn't really feel maybe that connection as I got older. And so what my father said almost by happenstance when I was about 12 years old was, listen, you don't have to stay here and take care of us because we're going to take care of ourselves. You shouldn't feel compelled to stay in the same city, the same U.S. state, even the same country for that matter. You should go where you're treated best. And the idea was he is, is a business guy, saw that the U.S. was heading in the wrong direction. He said, you know what? Maybe you don't want to stay here. Maybe you want to explore some better opportunities. Certainly Ohio and certainly Cleveland had been trending in the wrong direction. It's kind of this Rust Belt places. I mean, they've been trending in the wrong direction. And so he just said, listen, if you don't want to stay here because you want to be in business, you want to be successful, don't worry about us. You should take care of yourself. And that's kind of been very powerful. It's allowed me to go out. And when I became a young adult, I, I had a business in the US, invested in, and started in a couple of businesses, but I started traveling. And I traveled to over 100 countries at this point and saw that there are differences, saw that there are opportunities, saw that there are benefits, saw that there's healthier food, better social opportunities, lower taxes, higher interest rates, whatever it is that you are looking for, you can find that somewhere else. And that's very much defined my philosophy. And I went back and thought, go where you're treated best. Yeah, the United States is not where I'm treated best financially. It's not where I'm treated best socially. It's not where I'm treated best in many ways. And so I've gone on this expedition of finding the places. Yeah, and I, I know what you mean. I mean, I felt guilt about not staying in, you know, I, I grew up in New York and I felt guilt about not being there, but, you know, things started to really just go downhill and I left there and I live in Texas now, which is a bit better, but I understand your thinking, you know, again, if your own country and all that's not uh, not good to you and there's and you've traveled and there's places that are better and you like them, then why not go? But I, I know it's it's scary for a lot of people and there's a lot of, I guess, emotional baggage about their country where they don't want to leave it. I think that those of us who are business owners, entrepreneurs, investors, perhaps fancy ourselves as more libertarian, more self-sufficient, have this idea that somehow we're immune to politics and to politicians. A lot of people stick around in the U.S., for example, they want to improve the system. Listen, you improve the system in numerous times. They lowered your tax rates from 39 to 35%. They didn't really fix the problem. You could have just moved somewhere and paid 0%, 5%, 10%. You can choose your rate. But I think you know people are thinking, well... You know, they buy into the propaganda of like, do ask not what you what you can what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Like people allow that to have more influence on them. They would like to admit, I think, where they still believe like my country is the best. How many people do I talk to around the world where they're confident their country is the best? They can't all be the best. Now we can rephrase that and say, well, it's where I feel the most comfortable, which now brings up the issue. Okay. okay. Why are you comfortable there? And could you be comfortable somewhere else? But the idea that there's nowhere better. And then you talk, you know, where have you gone? It's like, I'm sitting next to the woman on the plane 15 years ago. Where are you going? Flying into Newark. I'm going to Oslo. Well, that's the one in Pennsylvania. She doesn't get an opinion on which countries are the best. I'm sorry, but her opinion is excluded, right? Uh, it doesn't know where Oslo is. thinks Oslo is Pennsylvania. So I think rephrasing this, acknowledging that we're all subject to the kind of marketing that our country has put out there. And then kind of rephrasing what comes from that is, is powerful. Yeah, what, what were some of the points in your journey where even you had trepidation? You were like, I feel like I'm taking a big step here. I think that's the, the joke is that I probably had all the trepidation over the course of the years. I mean, yeah, I remember back many, many, many years ago when I was just starting out in business and I got something like I was always looking for the highest, highest interest rate savings accounts. And I found, oh, here's one with like double the interest rate. And then I go, it's like, oh, it's in uh, some Caribbean island. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. 
So I think I've had all the kind of suspicions that people had. But, you know, what I've learned being an entrepreneur and growing a business, you know, you don't grow a business numerous times, but currently you don't grow a business from zero to, you know, multi-eight figures in revenue by, by just, you know, not learning anything along the way, not taking risks. And so eventually I said, like, listen, I'm just going to go and I'm going to open an account somewhere with like a thousand bucks. And you know what? If I lose a thousand bucks, so be it. And that thousand bucks is still sitting there. Added more to it over the years, but that thousand bucks is still there. By the way, you can't get that account anymore because that bank no longer wants non-residents. They let me and many others like me, I guess, keep the account. So, I mean, every single thing I've done, I had to start small to feel comfortable, whether it's buying real estate, opening a bank account. I mean, you know, doing, I think everything, right? The first passport, you're like, ah, you know, and I think it's always, I mean, there's expense involved in this industry. It costs money plane tickets and citizenship costs and fi- I mean, whatever it is, you always ask, is it worth it? What I can say now looking back is I don't regret any of it because I've created basically this bastion of freedom for myself where no matter what happens in the world, I have places to go. I believe my money is protected. I have a better lifestyle than ever. But I think I'm just like anyone else. I had the same fears going in and it just took saying, I'm going to overcome it the same way you did in your business. You had a fear of hiring the first person. You just had to do it. Yeah, no, that's true. Just like podcasting, you know, you may be afraid to talk to somebody, but after doing it for a while, you're not afraid anymore. I think it's the same as anything. Yeah, very good. So, if we look at a whole year, like what what is your life like? Like, how much time do you spend in different countries, and you know, where do you go right now? Like, what does your schedule look like? Let's say for a whole year. Well, I think the beauty of again having multiple second residences, which is places where you're not a citizen, but you have the ability to live. And second citizenships, which is where you're entitled to a passport and can travel and, and you're always welcome, I guess, unless you're Australian, where they were keeping their own citizens out. But the beauty of that system to me is you can be flexible. And so the last couple of years, I'm a resident of Malaysia. Asia was more closed off in 2021. So we weren't here. I have a home in Colombia, which that home entitled me to get permanent residence. And I can work towards citizenship, which is, you know, Colombia, obviously in South America, there's kind of a a union of South American countries that if you become a citizen, you have you know certain abilities to do stuff in the other countries. That's kind of cool. It's a continent that's kind of detached from the rest of the world. And I thought that'd be worth having. And when they reopened in early 2021, it was a pretty good place to spend four and a half months of the year. You know, I was in Mexico for our conference for about two months last year. So that part of the world worked very well for me. Now I'm back in Asia because Asia is largely back to normal. I'm going to be in Eastern Europe, which has been pretty much normal almost about this entire last two years. So, I mean, I initially talked about the idea of a trifecta where you have three homes and you spend about four months in each. It's good from a lifestyle point of view. Let's say it's one in South America, one in Europe, one in Asia. You get the diversification. I like the different food, I like the different people. I like the different time zones. I like, you know, being diversified lifestyle level, but it also potentially helps with tax planning. But, you know, I think that you can adjust that. I mean, I have a number of properties that serve a lifestyle or an immigration purpose around the world. And, you know, I think that the world is in, a, is in a constant state of flux. We've seen that now with wars, pandemics, financial issues. You know, I don't know that you want to say, here's my exact schedule. Right now, I'm in Asia. I enjoy being in Asia. But, you know, I also have business in Europe and I go there. And so I think that, you know, the freedom to do what you want is, uh, is beneficial. And it's been very helpful these last couple of years when it was very unpleasant to be in certain parts of the world and I was able to uh, maneuver. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with the ingredients that are organic and free of fillers, 
and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving, like Organifi Green Juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Or Organifi Red Juice, a superfood punch that increases energy without caffeine and only 2 grams of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use simply by mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best-tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com genius and use the code genius for 20% off your order. That's Organifi.com forward slash genius. Use code genius to get 20% off any item. Remember, www.organifi.com slash genius. Yeah, no, I'm sure. What is it like to be in a country and be a resident, but not a citizen? For some reason, like personally, that came up for me. It, it, I wonder mm-hmm. if it feels weird or is there any problem with doing that? Or is it you no know, big deal? I mean, we are who we are, right? I think that, I mean, there's certainly a joy in getting a new citizenship, especially if you happen to like the country. I've have been fortunate enough to have that. And I, and I like to have that kind of identity and that, that soulfulness as an added benefit. But, you know, if you're an American and you're living in, let's say, Malaysia, I mean, you're an American living in Malaysia, no matter what you do, if you look like me, you're not going to be taken seriously as a Malaysian. I have a friend who did get citizenship in Asia, and I don't think that anyone even then will think that he's a citizen of the country. I mean, so, you know, listen, there, there are a lot of countries in the world where it's very hard to get citizenship, but they let expats come and live. The Asian countries, you know, the UAE, that's kind of place. And so I think that they're very familiar with, okay, you're not one of us, but we accept people living here. And no, it's not uncomfortable at all. They're, they're very welcoming, probably in some cases more welcoming than their own citizens. In a place like Latin America, obviously in the new world, there's a great history of immigration and you have people who look different ways. And I think that there's, it's much more, you know, based on, do you speak our language? So if you can learn Spanish, I think you can pretty well fit in. I had a, someone who worked for us who was married to a Mexican, lived in Mexico for a number of years. And I mean, she's pretty blonde, but I guess there's enough people that look like her in Mexico that her neighbors in this kind of suburban community thought she was Mexican because she spoke such flawless Mexican Spanish. So I think that if you want more of that atmosphere where you can fit in, perhaps there are parts of Europe that you can do that, but I would say more so the new world. I think that from the nomadic campus perspective, the residences that we talk about in these up and coming countries are a lot easier than, let's say, a U.S. green card where you are basically forced to stay there. And there's a lot of conditions attached to that. And you've got to pay taxes by default. So I think that like some of the, you know, like compared to that, most of these are pretty comfortable. Yeah, I know it's not the same for every country, but for the most part, there's really not much of a downside between being a resident and staying in a country versus being a citizen of that country. I think that you want to almost split it. Now, again, I have some citizenships and I enjoy spending time there, maybe not all the time. But if you're like, listen, if I got banished to that country, life wouldn't be terrible. I don't see where that would ever happen. But I would also say, listen, there's places that perhaps I even enjoy at times more than those countries. And I can't be a citizen or it's not worth to be a citizen or I will be in the future, but I can get a residence permit. And so I would separate residence and citizenship. I think people are looking for kind of one thing that solves everything. I was born in the United States. I'm a U.S. citizen. I live in the U.S. I work in the like everything U.S., U.S., U.S. Why not start splitting it? Right. I can get citizenship with the Caribbean by investment or I can get citizenship through my family tree in any number of places. Italy, for example. I don't want to live in Italy. I don't want to live in the Caribbean. I want to live in Dubai. 
okay, well, live in Dubai, take advantage of the tax incentives and be there as a citizen of Italy or St. Lucia or whatever the case may be. Why not, you know, split things up? I think people are looking for like one solution that answers everything. A good citizenship may not be the place that you want to live. Yeah, you, you did a video or two about, I think you call it the sandwich. Would you mind going over that? The three yeah. different facets of, uh, you know, your existence? The sand, Well, the sandwich, the global citizen sandwich was not about citizenship, it was about finances and the idea of, again, diversify. So let's just take Southeast Asia, for example, or Asia in general. Southeast Asia being the most accessible on pretty much every front. So in the middle layer, the meat of the sandwich is where you're going to live. And so I've said, I mean, for me, it's Malaysia. I love Malaysia. I was just in Bangkok. And so that could be a place. There is a great expat culture there. There's a lot of international stuff happening there. You could pick either one of those. Both of those are pretty livable. You're going to miss out on a few creature comforts of a place like the U.S. And you're probably going to add some creature comforts. You're going to have better taxes. You're going to have a more interesting life. Um, but that's the middle. That's the meat of the sandwich, where you live, where you are existing. On top of the sandwich is where am I diversifying my assets to keep them safe? So with that region, it's Singapore for most people. And so I'm not saying that Malaysian or Thai banks aren't safe. I don't think it's been a Malaysian bank failure like ever. But Singapore is the, is the big place where they have lots of investments, lots of opportunities. You can pretty much do anything. It's a global financial center. So that's going to be where I'm going to park my assets. Maybe I'll have a brokerage account there. I'm going to manage the assets I want to keep and preserve. And then the kind of the other side of the sandwich bread is the more adventurous investments where I'm going to make my growth investments in, let's say, Cambodia. I believe it continues to be a great opportunity. I mean, they had a recession in 2020, as did the rest of the world, but otherwise there's been no recession for 30 years. So for a growth capital that's more exotic, I'm going to go that way. So I'm in the middle. I don't often like to be in the middle, but in this case, I'm in the middle. I don't want to go to Singapore and buy a $10 million apartment and pay $2 million in taxes for the privilege and fritter that away. I don't necessarily want to be in this business hub. I don't need to be there. I don't have a job. I don't need to, to be there. It just doesn't appeal to me as much. I, I love the place, but I'd rather be in Malaysia. And it costs me a heck of a lot more. And it's more interesting to me. But I recognize that Singapore is certainly more developed financially. And then I also realize I'm not going to invest in Malaysia because they're just the opportunities for real estate aren't as good for someone in my position. So if I want something that's going to be you know faster growth, I'm going down the spectrum to a Cambodia where it's not as developed and there's more opportunities for faster growth. That was the, what the global citizenship sandwich is about. Is there any friction in your day-to-day -day living or banking and assets or in, another, in one country you're living in another and you know, maybe a citizen of a third? Any, again, daily friction? I mean, I've certainly built an infrastructure around me and I have a company that does this. So I have people who, you know, they help people open bank accounts and do all that. And, and they occasionally help me. I'll just, you know, give you an example week or two ago, I get an email from a bank in uh, Serbia saying, hey, we need to fill out this new form. And I had to have someone on my team from Serbia call them. And it was resolved in like five minutes. But like, as a former US citizen, people don't understand that, especially in places like Eastern Europe, um, because a lot of them want US citizenship. That's like the, the holy grail for them. And they, they just can't imagine, like people can't imagine things they wouldn't do. So they're like, no, but you're a US citizen. You need to fill out this, this tax form for US citizens. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And so, I mean, that's a once in a while occasion. But generally speaking, I mean, I banked in the United States and I can't say I had tremendous issues, but I really haven't faced any of the difficulties that I would have faced in the US. No, I, I think that when I was more nomadic, certainly being nomadic these days could be a bit more complicated.
you know, Mexico, for example, people used to live in Mexico on 180 day tourist visas. Now people are going and getting a month. And so if you're planning around the 180 and you're getting a month because they're, they're trying to crack down on tourist overstays, that can be more difficult. But for someone who has residences and citizenships and their finances are organized, listen, occasionally I, I hooked up to something. I had a bank in Liechtenstein. I sucked. I had to send this, the president of the bank a letter. I said, you know, can you just close my account? And the next day my funds were back in Singapore. So when there's friction, you just get rid of it. But, but generally speaking, no. Oh, good. Okay. And then, um, you know, it seems like the news in the U.S., it seems to paint every other country as a dangerous, you know, oh, yeah. shithole you shouldn't live in. But what, what's the reality as you've traveled? What have you seen? Well, there's, there's two standards to what's safe. And by the way, I mean, safe for what, right? I was in Barcelona uh, a couple months ago. I didn't wear my watch out because I know numerous clients who they've had this, you know, this, these watch thief gangs that come up and take their nice watch. I mean, I don't know that I'm afraid of being killed in Barcelona, but I'm certainly afraid of being robbed. And so, I mean, those are, there's that. I mean, if we're talking about physical safety, if you look at the statistics, Eastern Europe, countries that we've talked about, like Serbia, Georgia, Armenia, certainly the UAE and some of the Gulf countries, those are pretty darn safe. Um, let's look at the murder statistics. The U.S. is like the 59th, I think, highest murder rate in the world. It's, you know, Malaysia is a third of that. Georgia is a sixth of that. The UAE is like one quadrillionth of that or something. I mean, I think what people do is they live in the U.S., let's say, and they live in a suburb. They live in some suburb of Dallas, for example. You're in Texas. And they're like, oh, it's pretty safe here. And then they imagine like, well, if I moved to Colombia or if I moved to Mexico, where a lot of Americans have been going for personal freedom the last couple of years, I'm going to live in the nastiest, most disgusting neighborhood, like the ghetto. It's like, no, you're not. You're going to go to Mexico, you can live in Lomas, you can live in Polanco, and you'll be fine. The same way you're fine now. But we have this idea where it's like we, we rely on anecdotes where we live. Oh, nobody's killed me in my suburb yet. And then we use statistics everywhere else. The statistics, I mean, sure, there are more dangerous countries. Statistically speaking, Colombia, Mexico are more dangerous than the U.S. for murders. Is that going to impact you living in a, in a suburban atmosphere? No, because you're going to choose to not go to those places the same way you don't live in the center of New Orleans or the center of Chicago or whatever places in the U.S. Are the worst, Memphis, Tennessee, I think. Um, so you wouldn't live there. So why would you live somewhere there? So I just think that like we need to have a level playing field for let's look at the stats and let's acknowledge that most of the countries that we talk about, um, three quarters of the countries in the world essentially are safer than the U.S. Um, you can make that better or worse, but chances are if you did the same things you're doing there, you could have the same odds, but the statistics will be better. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there any, I don't know, shortcut you found that if someone's interested in a particular country, how they could find out what it's really like to live there? Like, you know, is there a, a place or a website or groups that they could find? Or, you know, how would they figure that out without going there? I think there's no substitute for going there. There are plenty of Facebook expat groups, stuff like that. I don't get involved in that because I think that, I mean, if people come to me and they hire me, we walk them through. We've created a whole process we've refined over the years. We've done this, you know, well over a thousand times at a high level. So we kind of work through that. But the advice still is, okay, everything you've said on a strategic level and on a human level, kind of ascertaining their personality, here's the top three or four places to explore. And what I typically tell people is let's set up the infra. If you're not ready to move now, let's set up the infrastructure. Let's get the passports, residences, what have you, because the passport, again, may not be where you're going to live passport, bank accounts, all that stuff can be done so that you've got the global infrastructure and then you can start exploring at your leisure. Or if you do want to move, 
okay, let's pick one place or two places or three places or just a nomadic life. And you're just going to go out and you're going to figure it out and you're going to make mistakes. Um, maybe you'll get it right the first time or maybe you won't. I've been doing this a long time. And I continually, again, was in Bangkok the other day. I've never liked Bangkok and it's still not my favorite place, but I, I saw a different side of it where I'm like, okay, this could be interesting for a short stay at least versus last time. I never want to come here ever again. So I think that trial and error is the only way to do it. I don't think, I mean, it's like I used to stay at all these nice hotels and I would ask the concierge, what's the best restaurant? I almost never enjoyed their restaurant recommendations. I almost always enjoyed the places that I found on my own. And when I listened to them, it just didn't work out. I think you've got to listen to yourself because nobody else knows what it is that you're looking for, especially if you're at the level of people that we're working with who are you know, millionaire investors, entrepreneurs, et cetera. I think a lot of what's out there is going to be catered to people who aren't as successful. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, what they're going to recommend is different. Yeah, no, it makes sense. What, so what do your clients want? I know every situation is different, but what are some of the top things that clients want, especially lately? I look at it in three categories. Um, it's finances, which could be, I want lower taxes. It also could be, I'm afraid that the government's going to come and take my stuff. You saw that in Canada where, all right, we're going to freeze bank accounts. You've seen that for a long time in the US with things like civil asset forfeiture. Again, we always think, oh, it doesn't happen to me. But again, somehow it's like, oh, if I go to some other country, they're going to take my money the minute I arrive. Well, wait a second. Your country is a much higher rate of taking money. I had an issue of my own many, many, many years ago that got resolved, but they just took my money and they after I'd already paid them. So financial, lowering taxes, protecting money. Number two is more personal freedom. So that could be a second passport, which gives you an insurance policy against the country that you're in. If you're a citizen of one country, they don't have to give you a passport. And there's more and more ways we're seeing from Western countries to try and deny you a passport. It always starts small and then it gets bigger over time. So people want second passports. They want residences of places they can go. I think the more, the better. You know, Two is one, one is none. They want to go to places where they feel more personal freedom. That can be many things to many people. It could be homeschooling. It could be you know, health stuff. It could be whatever. And then there's lifestyle. A lot of Canadians have been pushed over recently where they're like, taxes are insane. Now they're going to come and start taking our money. The government's becoming more and more socialistic, more and more confiscatory. And you know what? <laughs> the weather sucks. So let's go somewhere where it's warm. Like that was what, like all those other events pushed them over. So they're like, okay the lifestyle could be improved as well. And so I think that, again, I've, I've known people who they're like, dating is so much better somewhere else. I don't feel like I belong in one country. I don't have so many friends, but you know, when I go over here, it's so much better. Weather is a big one. Healthier food, better healthcare, more affordable healthcare. I have people who are just like, I just don't like the country. I don't like the direction it's going. We have people who, as much as people think, oh, you know, low taxes, this guy's pretty conservative. We have people who are pretty socially liberal. Like, I don't want to spend 40% of my tax dollars to fund wars and nobody even has good health care. I'll pay some taxes, but you know what? I want to go to a place where I believe in, in the mission. So there's a lot of things, but it's finances, it's freedom, and it's lifestyle. Yeah, I guess for someone that makes a million, they pay 400000 in taxes, let's say, if they're in the U.S. If yep. you're able to uh, set yourself up so you don't have to pay that, that's a huge add-on. You could do a lot more with that money, you know. You keep a lot more of your money in that case. It'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, harder for Americans to pay zero, depending on how much you make. But yeah, I mean, let's say you even got it down to a hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, what if you had invested that three hundred thousand dollars over the next decade, three million dollars? I mean, the opportunity cost there. If you're a business owner, obviously crypto is down right now, but that's been a big one. You know, if you're a stock investor, I mean, three an extra three hundred grand a year, you're going to have millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I mean, how many people? 
do I hear about who are like, I'm 50, I live in Canada, I've done pretty well for myself, I've got $1.4 million. Imagine if you would just take on the money that you were sending to the government that they wasted, that you got very little in return for. Maybe in Canada you get something, but I mean, certainly not in the US. Imagine if over all your years you had reinvested that. You wouldn't be at 1.4, you'd probably be at like, you know, 14 million. So it's a, it's a huge difference. Yeah, I remember the marketer, uh, Dan Kennedy, he, one time he showed a check that he had to pay the IRS. It was like 700 grand or something. And he said, I didn't get a thank you. I didn't get any extra services. I didn't get anything. I got demonized as an evil rich guy, but nothing good. Nobody understands. That's the same point. Nobody understands what it's like to be successful. They haven't done it. They imagine, and I see this all the time. I see, you know, I've seen over the years we've had people, you know, working here and I get all the comments like they don't understand what it takes to be successful. And listen, we all get to choose our own way in life, but, um, yeah, people just demonize it. And, and then, you know, Elon Musk pays $11 billion and he's a scumbag in the eyes of a guy who just paid $1,000 and got a bunch of credits for, for this or that. So, I mean, yeah, imagine you put that $700,000 back to work for you. And I will say this also, I have gotten commendations from places around the world. You know, I, I go somewhere and I'll hire 10 people. We got one from the prime minister not so long ago. Thanks for what you're doing to, uh, they called us, thanks for what you're doing to bring jobs, good paying jobs to our country. You don't get that in the US. And listen, I don't know that, I know that Jeff Bezos gets that in the US, by the way. If, to the extent he does, most of us aren't Jeff Bezos. You might as well go where your talents and your contributions are respected. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Well, that's really cool that you got a, a commendation from a prime minister of a country. That's amazing. It was pretty cool. So what's... um. When people go through this journey with your company, like what, what does it look like? What's the first step, the second step, the third step, you know, for people that are interested? I think the big thing from my perspective is you have to think holistically. I mean, right now you see with the pandemic, for example, a lot of people, especially Americans, I mean, we've always been talking to Americans. I've been saying this for a decade and I've been talking about it around my dinner table with my family for a quarter of a century. But in the last two years, you've seen more Americans looking for golden visas, as you mentioned, which is basically a residence permit where you make an investment. They're generally in Europe. That's the, where the terminology started, where you know, you're going to buy a property, buy some bonds, you know, do whatever, and you're going to get a residence permit that doesn't require you to live there. So it's the perfect thing for an American who doesn't want to leave the U.S., but, but wants to have that optionality that they could leave the U.S., but then the question is, you know, to me, it has to be holistic. Why do you just need a golden visa? What's the tax situation? You're an American. Those taxes follow you everywhere. You can reduce them, but the obligation to file is always there. You need a bank account. How do you report the bank account? Like there's so many things that overlap, especially for Americans. So if you come to us, we're going to make a holistic plan where we figure out all the objectives. It's probably not, I want a golden visa. There's probably a number of more personal, more intimate objectives that you want to accomplish that maybe the golden visa doesn't even accomplish. Maybe, oh, I actually want to live in Portugal. Okay, well, you don't need the golden visa then. You can get this one over here. And okay, now you've got to do tax planning though. And so it's all about a process of kind of going through and analyzing the real needs, understanding what's going on. Oh, you've got one employee in the US? That could change things. We need to, we need to address that. Like it's picking up on things people didn't know exist. It's understanding the true goals. It's prescribing all the solutions for that. It's understanding like, let's not overpay for things we don't need. Let's not get into like, again, I need, I need Malta citizenship, which is an EU citizenship that costs about a million dollars in 18 months. You don't need that to live in Europe. You can get the cheaper citizenship and then get the residence permit in Europe. And then, so it's just walking people through that. And then once they do that, we execute that. And I mean, we've done this enough. And, and I had to train people initially, like, here's how this stuff should work. But yet when you go overseas, 
obviously not everything works as well as, or as you would imagine it, right, in your home country. So you want someone who can kind of implement that and kind of be the uh, the mediator between the two parties and make sure everything is executed cleanly because the person in Portugal doesn't know about your U.S. taxes. Are you going to negotiate between the Portugal lawyer and the U.S. tax guy and, and you know, the bank? It's a pain. So it's planning and then execution from a holistic perspective, because I see a lot of kind of basic mistakes when people are wasting hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars sometimes, kind of thinking one size fits all, because that's what everyone else sells is get your golden visa. Yeah. And then what? Right. Let's solve a problem rather than collect shiny baubles. That's my perspective. Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask you, is there a Guinness Book of Records like person in the world with the most number of citizenships or passports? There's been a story banded around, and I know one of the guys who I think had worked with him at one point. I mean, who he had eight. Is that the record? I don't know. I haven't seen that there's a record, but I think and there's, certainly there's somebody with eight. By the way, I mean, it, it, <laughs> I also know someone who was going down. They were on a mission to get all five Caribbean citizenships, which you can obtain by investment. You, you could start the process, collect a whole boatload of documents, and you could get them all in you know, six, seven, eight months from today. So there's five. You can go to Turkey. You can do the same thing with buying a property. You know, there's others. So, I mean, you get to eight, it wouldn't be that difficult. I mean, a lot of them would be redundant, but I think a lot of that guys were somewhat redundant. He had like Belize and Grenada, I think, and Ireland and the UK. I mean, some of them were kind of overlapping. Yeah, I just thought it'd be a funny thing. I'm sure someone's done it. They just, it's a fun thing for them to just keep collecting citizenships. So they keep doing it. I'm sure there's someone out there that does that. Also, I, I love that. I think the optionality is good. Obviously, I think you want to have a plan. One thing I've noticed for people who are like, you know, the high nine figures, for example, is they really want, you know, it's all about optics. Hey, I'm running a, a very public company, whether it's actually a public company or just a well-known one. Like, I don't want to be like associated with some random country, right? So if I'm a crypto guy with $300 million, maybe Malta works because they were kind of in the crypto space and people understand like that's why it works. But I don't want to get, you know, Bulgarian. What's the reasoning for that? So I certainly think that if you want to, you know, be deeply doing business in the US or the Western world, where maybe the few countries have some judgment, you want to plan the passport portfolio well. If you're just going to be dealing with the kind of countries that we talk about, I think they're pretty non-judgmental. But yeah, like if you want to get a UK residence permit, you're going to tell them all your passports. And I sometimes wonder, like, why do you have nine passports? Could be a question. Yeah, makes sense. So how, how long on average should someone start planning ahead to set up all this infrastructure, as you said? Like, let's say, you know, they're not ready to move now. Maybe they have teenage children. They're waiting for them to be 18. Like how long ahead of time should people start this process to do it? Well, I had that just recently where someone waited for the kids to turn 18 and then the citizenship that they wanted only worked on minor children. So in that case, they missed out and the kids weren't able to be added to their particular citizenship choice. There's plenty of citizenships you can add kids onto, whether it's by descent through your family tree or whether it's by investment. But this particular program wouldn't work. I always think, I mean, if it's a concern, do it now. I very strongly believe in go where you're treated best. But I also believe... If you're just like, listen, this guy's an idiot. I'm just living in the U.S. It's the best country in the world. We got everything. We got shootings. We got uh, food shortages. You know, we got high taxes. That's cool. That's for you. So just put it aside and don't do it. But if you think it's worth doing, come and make a plan now to at least as far as you want to go. And for some people, that's I'm going to get residence in a, in a Latin American country that's pretty affordable, doesn't really require an investment, just requires proof of income in many cases. So that's not going to cost me that much. Maybe I'll open a few smaller bank accounts in a country like a Georgia where I don't have to put in much money. and It's not that complicated, right? Maybe I'll get that citizenship through my family tree. Grandma was Irish. Let's get that, you know. 
other people just want to go, go, go. But I think it's if it's important to you, if it's worth doing, it's worth evaluating the options. And I think that's what we help people do. We, we have almost, what, 1,800 videos that hopefully open people's eyes. But, you know, people come, we're often still clearing out misconceptions about you don't need to spend $300,000 for that. You can do it for practically free, right? And that's the benefit of an unbiased advisor. But I, I think if you're going to do anything, you should just do it. You should commit to some level, right? If you're going to start a business, you don't have to build Amazon tomorrow, but you should start and you should get the organic progress moving. It's really no different in my mind as, a, as an entrepreneur from building a business. It's, you're going you're to start smaller. You're going to learn along the way. You're going to make some mistakes. We can help people minimize those mistakes, but it's just going to grow over time. And if at some point you hate it, you say, all right, this is the biggest I want it to be. I want, I want a passport or residence and I got my banks and I'm done. I live in Texas. Mm. Um, or maybe you'll go further, but you're never going to go further until you start. So what do you say is reasonable? Like people should, you know, assume it's going to take at least six months or a year or a ballpark. I know it depends on the situation, yeah. but how long does it take? Obviously, depending on people's schedules. I mean, it takes us four to eight weeks to make someone's plan in a comprehensive way with numerous interactions, a lot of research in between so a month or two to make a plan and then to execute it, what we're generally doing is we give someone like a year of support. But the goal being it might take us three months to file everything. If we're waiting for a passport, it might be approved in six or seven months. But there's nothing to do in between that. And then, you know, within six, seven, eight, nine months, whatever, you have everything. And we've got some time for you to kind of ask us questions about how do I I've got a question from the bank or, hey, this uh, investment firm asked me, what should I tell them? Whatever. Um I mean, certainly you can get a lot done in six months if you're eager to do it. Okay, good to know. So I guess six to 12 months may be a reasonable expectation to get your ducks in a row on your plan, your particular one. I mean, I, I, really, I really firmly believe in the plan, right? It's too many people are doing ready, fire, aim. And listen, I mean, is that a sales pitch? I guess it is, but it's what I happen to believe. I'm a consumer of this business. I continue to be a consumer of this business. I continue to be frustrated trying new things that we then don't offer to the clients because they suck. And that keeps me grounded to remember why we do it this way, right? It's ready, aim, fire. And so, okay, I can help you open a bank account in Georgia, like in the next couple of days, if that's all you want to do. But that's probably not what you want to do. You've got a deeper problem. I'm concerned about A, B, and C. So let's address that first. Let's take four, six, eight weeks for more complicated cases. And let's figure out what all you need, what the consequences of doing these things are. Let's figure out they often interlap. It's always like, oh, if you do that, well, then you got to change this. And it's like, so you know, it gets involved. Let's take the time to do that. And then let's execute. Yeah, a bank account might take a couple of days. In a place like a Switzerland, it might take a month. You know, whereas some residence permits, you got to go to the embassy. What's the waiting time? I mean, so everything's different. You can get some stuff done in a day and some stuff will take you, you know, six months to a year. Again, nobody's coming to us for one thing. It has to evolve over time. You know, you talk about nuance. So I remember in one video you said citizenship by investment versus donation. You know, one one was I don't know what country it was, but you could either invest like two hundred thousand to buy a property, or you could just donate it to the government. And mm -hmm. you know, at first blush, someone would say, "Oh, I'll just invest because I've got a property." And you went into the video of, "Oh, well, it may not be as good as you think, and you know, you may want to do this instead." So I I like that you don't just again have a set of basic things that you sell to people, but you really customize the plan. It sounds like to their needs. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, we had a guy, so citizenship by investment in my mind is generally a donation. Let's say you have five Caribbean countries that offer citizenship by investment. You can make a donation, 100,000, 130,000, whatever, 
family gets passports. There are then fees on top of that, by the way. No one wants to talk about that either. Is what's the cost? Not just the legal fees, but all the different government fees. You've got to get stacks of paperwork that needs to be stamped and sealed and all that. So, there, I mean, it's not a cheap process, but I think the ROI for many people is good. The return on peace, the RLP is good. But yeah, those programs have like investment options where, oh, buy a $400,000 house. And people think, oh, well, it must be like the United States. No, you're buying property on an island that's probably highly illiquid. There's a million islands, the shifting sands of tourism, and they're always shifting, right? And so, by the way, you're also going to, in order to save, let's say, $150,000 donation, you're going to pay a $40,000 processing fee. So now you're really not saving $150, you're saving $110. And then, oh, by the way, we've had cases where the person wanted to do that. We talked them into the donation. Then we're like, wait a second, don't you have a mom who was from wherever? Oh, we had once uh, one case a while ago. The mother was from, I think it was like Trinidad and Tobago or Guyana. There's a couple of different ones. It's like, well, that's pretty much the same passport. It's in the Caribbean community. Let's just like go to the embassy and get that one for free. You know, Mm. so it went from, I want to buy a $400,000 beach house that I'll never be able to sell and pay a bunch of fees in the process. And then God knows how I'm going to maintain that because the infrastructure to maintain property there is not nearly as good as what you'd expect in Dallas you know, to let's just go and get this one for free. Okay. Yeah, exactly. If your entire business is you've got lawyers in in five Caribbean countries and you push passports in the Caribbean. Yeah. You're not going to tell someone let's get this one for free because now you're out of business. Right. I mean, if you're a lawyer, I'm watching right now as Portugal is having a lot of issues and the lawyers in Portugal are all in the press, like, Oh, we think it'll be resolved. Well, of course you think it's resolved because otherwise you're you're screwed. You know, for me, it's like, ah, well, Portugal didn't work, but now, now we go to the next one. Um, is there like one story that comes to your mind that made you feel really good about what you did? You know, you solved a thorny problem for a family or just a story that you can remember that, I don't know, maybe it encapsulates a lot of the stuff we're talking about. You know, I probably, as a very kind of Protestant entrepreneur, don't take enough satisfaction in the wins. But I can tell you that I think we're conditioned to the, to the extent I mentioned, like we're all like we all buy too much into the politicians. We're conditioned because like you're supposed to pay taxes. And like if a guy saves a million dollars in taxes a year, there's a thing like, is that a win? Is that a victory? Yeah, you know what? That guy's going to create a lot more jobs. We still have in the back of our head that mind, that mindset like, you know, is that the same as like solving a quote unquote real problem? But especially the last couple of years, people have been really concerned about their countries in the West. It's what I, again, it's what I've been talking about around the dinner table for 25 years. But it has, been, it has felt good because I believe in this. It's a business because I believed in it first. And people started coming and asking for help, and we just developed it. So seeing people open their eyes, being able to meet people in other places, come, them coming to other places, and you know, seeing kind of their eyes light up and, and realize, oh, my goodness, this is so much better than I thought about Mexico, about we had a dinner in Serbia recently, about wherever – I really enjoy that because I felt that way and I like sharing that with people. And so that's been really positive. But I, I think every person that you help, it, it should feel nice. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, I'm a big believer in efficiency. I, I crave efficiency in life. It's an obsession of mine. I mean, if, we, if you just said, oh, we've saved people save, let's say we've helped people save a billion dollars in taxes over our lifetime, or that's how much we'll be saved. I mean, that money's going to be used a lot more efficiently to create jobs and empower people, especially the people who are hiring in emerging countries. That money is going to go a lot further. I mean, to me, I enjoy the efficiency of it. Yeah, very cool. So you, you mentioned, I believe in September, you're having your conference in what, Mexico City? Can you talk about that for a moment? And then I want to ask you how people can engage with you and 
you know, yeah. uh, contact Nomad Capitalist. So yeah, we have, we brought back our annual conference. It's called Nomad Capitalist Live. We had a great one last year. We sold it out. I think it was a great time. Everyone had a great time. And we share some of the stuff from the, the research and de development playbook. We build on what we do online. We share stuff we don't share online, stuff that's more intimate. And so if you are not at the level to become a client, either because you're not as sure that this is for you or because you're not you know, in, in our bracket, um, everyone's welcome to come to Nomad Capitalist Live and learn about this stuff and meet people. And the networking is just insane, by the way. People love that the most. But the information is great from people who do this, from people who are literally, we have our finger in so many different countries. So yeah, it's in Mexico City, September 21st through 24th. We have a big speaker to be announced shortly. We've got Adam Carolla, the comedian who has been uh, railing against California for as long as I've been around. And, and that'll be fun. We've got Max Kaiser, one of the original Bitcoin guys. We've got George Gammon. Uh, we've got a lot of you know names of people who I think, Doug Casey, who was the original international man, is going to be there and more to come. And a lot of members of my team who are actually doing this stuff. So it's a great opportunity to meet people, learn stuff, and hear from some great luminaries on these topics. Yeah, and in your videos, you always say, how could you find out more? There are four ways. So what are those ways? Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. What are the... <laughs> well, so I wrote a book called Nomad Calpus. That's kind of the lowest entry point. A lot of successful clients started with the book because it condenses things. You're not going to watch 1,800 videos or read 1,200 blog posts. It condenses things and it tells stories. You know, for me, this is a human process. Some people, you know, who don't like my approach, just they just want like a list of passports. And that's not what it's about. You need to understand the ethos of all this. And I think the book captures that. So the book is a great on-ramp for people. It's, you know, 11 bucks or whatever it is on Amazon. You can come to a conference. You can become a client. And we can help people directly put together these plans with a very high touch using a process that refined over the years, working with folks. And we've seen, I think, pretty much all the things that come up from people. What are their concerns? What are the issues? We know how to kind of read people and, and help guide them in the right direction. And I think it's a very good experience. So you can certainly also watch the free content. And we've put out tons and tons and tons of it. A new video every day, blog posts all the time. But um, I think those are the things, if you want to kind of turbocharge that, are worth checking out. Book, conference. Yeah client. Yeah, excellent. I, you know, personally, I encourage people that are interested to watch at least five or six of your videos, maybe 10, because it's just for some reason, maybe I'm slow, but it just took me a little while to get my head around. Oh, yeah, I could get another passport, but not live there, but yet live here and bank there. And at, at first, it seems like alien. And then after a while, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. So I, I would recommend people again, they, they watch a bunch of your videos because uh, they're not just pablum, like each one does have really good, interesting stuff in it. And it just takes time, I think, to build this picture in your mind of what to do and why. I always tell my team, if I ever move on from this, next thing is I'm starting like a yoga studio that everything understands because every single time, you know, we have very specific careers here. We're doing something that I don't think anyone else really does, putting all the pieces together for people. And, and the training curve here for new people is, is challenging, right? Because you got to like, oh, not tax residents. Like it's different. The learning curve is, is kind of steep. So I can imagine if you're watching. Yeah, it's, it's good to just kind of get the ideas. I don't think you're ever going to entirely understand it, though, until you do it. I think it's just doing begets learning. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, Andrew, is there, is there anything else you wanted to bring up I haven't asked you? Otherwise, we'll, uh, we'll close out. Yeah, I think just keep that in mind. Go where you're treated best. Chances are your country is not number one in anything. Maybe it's painful to hear that. Never was for me, but I imagine for some it is. But it's the truth. I'm a believer in truth above pretty much anything else. And 
your country's not number one in probably anything, let alone everything. Certainly, we all know it's not number one in everything. Yes, that includes you. Whatever country you want to tell me, it includes you. And so whether you want to live there or not, whether you want to be patriotic or not, whether it's the place for you or not, at least take some steps to realize there are better places for your money, for your freedom, for your business, for hiring, for whatever. And go where you're treated best in those areas. You can do it as a la carte as, as you want. At the end of the day, it is just a bunch of a la carte options that work together for me. But you know, start with something. Start with a bank account. You might have to report it legally on your taxes. You know, I, I encourage people to stay legal. But go where you're treated best. And that starts with realizing that no one place is perfect. Excellent. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was a really great time talking to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving, like Organifi green juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Or Organifi red juice, a superfood punch that increases energy without caffeine and only 2 grams of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use simply by mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best-tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com genius and use the code genius for 20% off your order. That's Organifi.com forward slash genius. Use code genius to get 20% off any item. Remember, www.organifi.com slash genius. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.